Amen, everyone. Well, good evening. How we doing? Doing all right with the cold? Southern California winter here. All right. If you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead and grab that right now. First Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll be tonight. First Timothy chapter 6. want to welcome you if you're watching online tonight on YouTube, on Facebook. We're glad you're joining us online. Looking forward to the day where you can join us. Uh, we know many have been tuning in as we've been going through this teaching series that we've been part of. Uh, if you've not been here, we are in the third of four weeks of a teaching series where we are covering the subject of money. Uh, and, and so often in church, we've said this since the beginning, you hear the subject of money in church and you think we're talking about giving us your money, okay? That, that is not tonight's sermon. That is not what we're going through. We have every intention of talking about what the Bible has to say about money. And as we jump into tonight's subject, I want to jump into it with this question. And it's a question I want you to just think about. You don't have to answer out loud, okay? This could get weird. Uh, but here's the question I want to ask. What is the most aggressively marketed product in human history? The most aggressively marketed product. Now you think of all of human history, you think, okay, that's a long time. So it must be like something essential like food, or, or beverages. Maybe, maybe it's clothes. Maybe it's like cars got out way ahead and they're like cars are the most marketed thing or homes are the most marketed thing. But the answer to it is actually really simple. It's a small four-letter word and this four-letter word is this word. It's debt. Yeah. Who guessed debt? Who guessed it? Who like turned to their friend? They're like, debt. No one. You know why? We don't even realize that debt is being marketed to us all the time. But here's what you'll realize really quickly. If you start to actually look for it, you'll realize that almost everything that is marketed to you is debt. Like, like there's a commercial and you know at the end you're going to hear like, what's in your wallet? <laughs> yeah, you all, why do you all know that? There's like all sorts of things you don't know, but you know what's in your wallet. And the answer is usually not much, right? Like, 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 like what's in your wallet? Or like, we treat you the way you would want to treat some like weird concoction there or like, like, like discover that. You're like, you just know these credit card slogans. Why? Because if you consume any media, you're just constantly bombarded with like, get a credit card and your life will be magical. We're like, what? Or, or you think about like, if you've ever thought about maybe getting a home mortgage at some point and maybe like Siri overheard you say that, like your entire feed is like, borrow money from us, borrow money from us, historic lows, you should refinance your home. And then there's like that rocket mortgage where it's like push button, get mortgage. Almost like they're, they're advertising to cavemen, like push button, get mortgage, right? Like, like like, this is constantly in your face. It is constantly in your face. You ever realize the end of a car commercial? It's never. Therefore, you should buy our car. Or come on down today and buy our car. What's the end of every car commercial? It's all of the ways you can buy the car if you don't have money to buy the car. It's like, don't worry, you can have 75 months of payments of this much at zero APR. And like, by the end, you're like very confused, but you might want to buy the car. Like, like, it is in your face constantly. The most aggressively marketed product in our culture, in the history of the world, is debt. And there's a reason for that. When people give out debt, they make a lot of money. You know how you know people who give out debt make a lot of money? The banks have nicer buildings than you live in, right? They make money by giving you money and then getting more back for themselves. It is aggressively marketed. That's why uh, for the average borrower here in America, average borrower of student loans, $28,500 student loans. Some of you are like, what? Some of you are like, that's way low, right? Like, like, like the average car loan, the average car payment is 550 bucks a month. The average household in America has $5,700 in credit card debt. And the average home loan, we'll just take right here in California, is $365,000. And in case you think this is just like a few reckless people out there spiking that thing, do you know that our nation is $27 trillion in debt? That doesn't even like compute to us. We're like, yeah, that's play money. It's real money. And we're in debt that much. And here's my point. It's the most aggressively marketed product in human history. And in our cu culture, let's just say in our nation, 
It's normal. It is the most normal thing there is. And here's what I want to put before you tonight. When our culture says it is normal, we should be careful. This is a principle that applies across everything. When our culture says something is normal, you need to be careful. I might even say, when our culture says something is normal, you need to be skeptical. Uh, like, do you know that the entire pushback against like the Christian sexual ethic is, well, everyone else is doing it. Everyone seems into this thing. It's normal. And, and as Christians, we need to go, okay, just because something's normal doesn't mean we shouldn't be skeptical. Doesn't shouldn't we be, like, like think about in, in culture, like everyone swears, right? Everyone uses obscene language and is vulgar all the time. But just because it's normal in a culture doesn't mean we shouldn't be skeptical. Doesn't mean we shouldn't kind of stand back a little and go, I'm not sure about that. Just because we live in a culture that obsesses over body image and tells you at the same time you need to be like skinny as a rail and buff in certain areas. Like it's just impossible. But it's like the normal average thing that everyone agrees is beautiful. You should be skeptical. You should be careful. But like when our culture says something is normal, you, the people of God, those of you who call yourself Christians, and I don't assume that's all of you or everyone listening online, but those of you who are Christians, when the culture says it's normal, you should be skeptical. You should be careful. And the same thing goes with debt. Listen, we live in a culture that says you need to take out student loans to go to college. We live in a culture that says you're always going to have a car payment. We live in a culture that says there's no way to buy a house or ever live without a mortgage. We live in a culture that says you should get a credit card. Why? So that you can get a better credit score. Why do you want a better credit score? So you can borrow more money. Like that's the culture we live in. Like it amplifies this idea that like you need to get in debt. Why? So you can get more debt someday. It is so normal and we are swimming in it. And so here's what I want to do tonight. I want to say things that sound abnormal. Like I'm going to stand up here on the stage and say things that sound so strange to some of your ears. In fact, I'm going to say things tonight that sound so unorthodox to American culture that some of you are going to think I'm crazy. Like, this is insane. But here's my intention tonight. My intention is not to give you my opinion on your debt load. My intention is to show you that the Bible is actually interested in what you think about when you think about debt. Like, tonight is not a financial seminar. I'm not here tonight to give you strategies on how you can leverage other people's money to become rich. Like, hey, like, that's not what tonight is. T tonight is my opportunity to stand before you and plead to you in the midst of a culture that says debt is normal and good and celebrated and the best thing ever. My intention is to show you what the Bible does say. But in order to do that, I actually want to start with what the Bible does not say. So let's start with three things the Bible doesn't say about debt. Just get some things out of the way. Number one, it does not say that debt is sin. I want to be really clear on that. The Bible does not say that debt is sin. There is no verse you can point to in the scriptures that say debt is sin. There's one that people point to sometimes. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, let no debt remain outstanding. And so sometimes people are like, okay, that means no debt for Christians. I don't think Romans 13, 8 means that you should never get into a debt arrangement. I think it means that you're not supposed to not pay back what you owe. It's in the context of relationships and honor and taxes and giving what is due to the right people. Uh, there's another scripture in the, the book of Psalms, verse 34, that says the wicked take out money, but don't repay it. And the emphasis there isn't that they take out money, it's they don't pay their debts. Like, I just don't think you can go to the scriptures and make a case to me that every single time you take out debt, it's sin. So I want to say that at the very beginning. But I say that with a lot of fear and trembling, okay? And here's the reason I have fear and trembling that I come out of the gate saying this. I think for some of you, the sermon is over right now. You're like, it's not sin. I have nothing else to listen to. Because for some of you, the entire world you've constructed of your faith is the bucket of sin and the bucket of not sin. And if it's not in the sin bucket, let's have at it. So you hear that debt isn't sin. And so you go, great, 
and I say student loans might not be sin, and you go, great, I'll get $250,000 of student loans getting a degree in left-handed puppetry, and it'll be great. It's wonderful. I'll just spend like it's no tomorrow. I'll be like, someone will pay this off someday. Or, or I say that it might not be sin for you to have a car loan. You're like, great, because there's a truck, and they're having a sale. Brian talked about this last week, like a sale. Like, oh, it's great. It was 50000 Now it's forty eight. I got to buy a $50,000 truck for 48000 Like my, my, my fear is that I say debt isn't a sin and, and therefore you drop into this mode where you think it's okay to spend whatever and borrow for it just because it's not sin. That, that you would walk into a home and maybe most of you, many of you maybe aren't homeowners yet, but you're like renting. And even, this even happens with renting, right? You walk into a place, you're like, this place is fine, but like, I really want granite countertops, right? Because like, I can't cook, I'm not granite. And then like, I need hardwood floors because carpets are so 1970s. And then, and then I, I, I don't know this only because I, I, my wife watches these shows where like everyone goes house hunting, right? And this is like the ultimate disaster. And they walk in. No one ever wants walls or rooms in their house. You ever notice that? They're like, open concept? Like rooms are so passe. That's out. I need open open everything open knock down the exterior walls make it a hut like whatever like that's what we want and and here's the crazy thing i say that debt might be okay i say that debt isn't necessarily sinful and what that opens up the door for so many christians is to go then i can take out as much debt as i want you see here's the second thing i need to say the first is that debt isn't sin The, the the first the second thing though is that the bible does not say that debt is wise the bible doesn't say debt is sin but you will find no place in the Bible where there is a positive reference to debt. There's no place where it's like an Abraham took out a second mortgage on his home and God went that away. He takes money to make money, right? Like that never happened. There's never a moment where there's a positive reference to debt in the Bible. The Bible is deeply skeptical of debt. So it's not sin, but it doesn't make it wise. And you need to understand in your Christian framework, as you follow Jesus, it's not just sin and not sin, bad and good. There's something in between. There are things that are not sin, but they're not wise. Uh, Listen to me. I don't think it's sin for you to spend four hours a day on your phone. Like if your screen time report reads four hours, especially in these last two weeks with the election and all that, you're like, oh, oh, like that's rough, right? I don't think it's sin, but I know it's unwise to spend a quarter of your waking hours of your life staring at this little device. Like it's not sin, but it's unwise. I don't think it's sinful to not exercise or care about your health or eating healthy at all. I don't think that's sin. I just think it's unwise, right? And and hear me, I don't think it's sin to not be in a small group or a Bible study or have any group of people you meet with regularly to talk about your faith in Jesus and keep you on track. I don't think it's sin to not be in one of those. I just don't think it's wise. And and so here's what I see in the scriptures. There's sin, there's good things, and then there's unwise things that aren't necessarily sin, but we need to be really, really careful about. And I think debt falls squarely in this. Um, I want to talk tonight about debt, and here's what I want to do from the beginning. Uh, As a teacher... As a leader, uh, I think one of my jobs is, is to share maybe a little more, be a little more accountable about what I say, all right? So I never want to pretend I'm something other than I'm not. So I'm going to talk tonight, real briefly, uh, about where debt has intersected with my life and my family. Three places specifically. Uh, I mentioned credit cards. Okay, when I was 18 years old, I got a credit card. I get handed it. They said, you got to spend on the credit card. I was like, I, but I have cash. Why do I do this? And they're like, so your, your, your score, your FICO score can go up because that's like a measure of your worth in life in an eternity, right? Your score. And so you like swipe the card. And so I had the credit card. Still have some credit cards. Use it for the miles. Not sure if that's the wisest thing. There's actually studies that show you spend like way more money on credit cards than you do with cash. Like cash is painful. You're like, I don't want to give this to you, but cards, you're like, whatever. And here's the studies. They go to like gas stations. They're like, how much did you spend on gas 30 seconds ago? People who pay with cash can tell you exactly what it is. If you pay with a credit card, you have no idea, right? You have no clue. 
Because you're like, well, I just swiped it and it worked, right? So, so that's number one. So here's an area where I have debt. Like I have a credit card, pay it off every month, but still, it's still technically debt. Okay, number two. Um, I was blessed, and some of you will tune out at this. But this is my life. It's my story. I don't have another one. It's just mine. Um, I was blessed to go to undergrad and get through with no debt. Um, my parents were generous. They worked hard. They saved hard. They paid. It was awesome. It was a blessing. Wouldn't take it back in my life. When I got to grad school and did seminary, which is like pastor school, okay? I went to seminary. My parents said, you're on your own. I said, okay, I don't have any money. I don't have any way of getting money. So I'm going to take out debt. It took about $50,000 in loans to go to seminary. $50,000. I ended up paying that off. I'll talk about it a little bit that later, but I just want to talk about where debt has played into my story. And here's the third place debt has played into my story. Uh, Pastor Brian Williams was here last week. He talked about this as well. Um, some of you have this as well. I have a mortgage on my home. So I have a mortgage on my home. I've purchased a home here in this community. hope to live in it for the rest of my life. I have a mortgage. So here's what I'm saying tonight. I want to be really clear. I don't think debt is sin, but I don't think debt is wise. And here's the guy saying, I don't think debt is wise, saying there are three areas in my life, one in my past and two in my current, where I have debt. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the fact that debt isn't wise, but here I am saying, like, I'm not going to go home tonight and sell my house and be like, honey, no more debt, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. So what am I doing here? I'm trying to point out that when you are following after Jesus and when you are trying to walk in wisdom in this world, you need to stop assuming that you always have a good option and a bad option in front of you. Sometimes what you have are two really difficult, really bad options. And when you get it into your mind that sometimes you are picking the best option of two bad options, then you are able to move forward with wisdom. Take my mortgage, for example. Uh, my mortgage, I'm going to be in debt for a long time, decades, right? And you could say, okay, Brian, that's unwise. But here's the problem. Here's the other unwise thing. The other unwise thing would be that I rent for the next 40, 50 years of my life. I never have equity in a home. My payments are always going up. My, my, my housing cost is never capped. And so here's two bad choices. It's not two good choices. I wish there was a third option where it was like, and I'm independently wealthy. So I wrote a check for a million dollars and bought a home. That's not something I have. If you have that, praise the Lord for you. I don't have that. Most of you don't have that. So what do we do sometimes? Sometimes we look at two tough decisions. Two bad options, and we make a decision. But that doesn't make the one we choose wise. It doesn't mean it's wise for me to have a mortgage, or it's good for me to have a mortgage, or the mortgage is no longer a big deal because the other option was worse. It's still something I have to wrestle with in my life. So the first thing the Bible is not going to say is that debt is sin. The second is that debt is wise. Here's the third thing the Bible is not going to say, that debt is irrelevant to faith. The debt is irrelevant to faith. This is the default position of a lot of people, including Christians that debt is largely irrelevant to my faith. A lot of Christians believe their student loans have nothing to do with them following Jesus. There are a lot of Christians who think your car payment has nothing to do with your prayer life. There are a lot of Christians who believe their mortgage has nothing to do with their generosity toward the Lord. And I'm here tonight to convince you that that's not true. Uh, I'm not here tonight to give a financial seminar. I'm not here tonight to give you my opinions on debt. I'm here tonight to show you that if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus who is growing more and more and more like Christ, you are going to have to think about debt, not the way the United States culture teaches you to think about debt, but rather the way the God of the universe teaches you to think about debt. We're going to jump into this text tonight. And again, it's in 1 Timothy. Uh, it's in chapter 6. And, and, and here's how it begins. Uh, it begins this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. If you have your Bibles with you, if not, it'll be on the screen. It says that godliness with contentment is great gain. So there's that word there, contentment. And that word contentment is one I brought up the very first week. 
I actually think it's a thread that kind of runs through all of your finances is this word contentment. Whether you're not, you are just content with the money and the possessions that you have. If you're content with your car, even though it's not new and it doesn't smell new anymore. If you're content with your shoes, even if they're a little scuffed up and don't look like they used to. If you're content with your phone, even though there's another phone that's coming out and it's a tiny little bit better than the current phone you have, if you're content with that. Like I actually think right at the core of all of this is are you going to be content with the things you have? Are you going to be okay with the things in this world knowing that the things of this world are never gonna satisfy you? Because listen, there's a competition going on for your heart. And here's the competition. The competition is between contentment over what you have and this unrelenting drive that exists in you and is egged on by our culture of consumption. Like I'll put it to you this way, that consumption and contentment are in competition for your heart. Like there's these two things competing for your heart. One says, be content with your shoes, they're just fine. And consumption says, but there's another pair of shoes out there and if you get that, you'll be happy. And you're like, how am I gonna be happy with new shoes? You're like, don't ask questions, you'll be happy, right? Like that's consumption. Consumption and contentment are competing for your heart. And here's what I need you to know tonight. When consumption beats contentment, you get debt. That's how you get debt. Debt comes when your desire for consumption destroys your contentment with things in this world. When you could be content with where you live and you're like, I don't even have a mortgage yet. Okay, but you have an apartment. You have somewhere you rent. Maybe you live with your parents and you become not content with that. I wanna live with my parents. I don't wanna rent this dingy little place. I want a better place. I want hardwood floors. One nice thing. I want an island in the kitchen because that makes food better, right? You want that. I'm not content with that. So what happens? Even if you're not owning a house yet, you start renting more and more expensive things. And the more expensive you rent, the less money you have to put toward a house someday. When contentment gets crushed by consumption, you end up in debt. Like, listen, it just goes all the way. It's the clothes that you think you need. It's the car that you think you have to have. It's like you having a car and suddenly needing a new one because you've got it in your mind that the newer one will somehow make you happy. It's you constantly needing to eat out. Like, like Pastor Brian Williams talked about this last week. He was like, you go to in and out You can actually just say, you know, I'm content. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm not even hungry right now. I, you ever thought about that? Like you can just say, no, it's amazing. Because listen, when consumption beats contentment, you get debt. But hear me. When contentment beats consumption, here's what you get. It's so good. Dollars. Dollars. Money. When your contentment in this world overcomes that impulse, that drive toward consumption, you get money. Now listen, some of you are hearing me say you get money, and that sounds like worldly to you. It sounds like that's not Christian stuff. That's not spiritual. This isn't a sermon. This is just like a lecture on how to get rich. It's not. You having money in this world is not some frivolous, irrelevant thing to your faith. Do you know what the scriptures say? If you don't take care of your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. I have a wife and two kids. Do you know how I have to take care of my household? I have to put food on the table. And if I don't do that, I am worse than an unbeliever. So what do I need to do? I need to make sure the consumption, the drive I have to have stuff doesn't overcome contentment so that I have the margin to be able to feed my wife and two kids. Like this is this dollars, the idea of having money. It's not some like anti-God or some other type of thing. It's you saying, I am going to be content because contentment allows me to do what I am called to do in this world, to provide for my family, to save and invest for my future, to get the education I need, to be generous. Listen, you can be generous when you're poor, but you can give a lot of money away when you have become content with what you have. 
Uh, like, hear me there. I, I say this almost every week during this series. There are people who give hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to Calvary. That blows some of your mind. That there are families that give hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to the mission of this church. They don't give it to their names on some building. You don't see names up here. All you see is people anonymously and generously and regularly giving money. Why can they do that? Because they make a ton of money. But you can make millions of dollars a year and still allow consumption to overcome your contentment and have nothing left to give. The only people who can give are the people who have dollars. The people who can invest and make a difference in this world. You know what dollars are the difference of? Like, like if you don't get a hold of your debt right now, like, like, and you just start to accrue debt at this age. Like, like I know I'm speaking to a group here. Um, I imagine I'm speaking to a group here that is largely like not considering themselves rich, okay? Like I imagine some of you are wealthy and praise the Lord. Seriously, some of you are making bank right now. And like, that's awesome. I have nothing against that. That's wonderful. And some of you have like families that are just like, here's all the money ever. And you're like, yay, right? Like that's some of you. But I'm going to assume that is not most of you. I'm going to assume most of you do not put yourself in the rich category. But here's what I need you to know, those of you who don't put yourself in the rich category. What you do now, whether or not consumption or contentment wins that little fight for your heart, will impact your future. It will impact whether or not you are able to pay for a home someday. And some of you, that seems so far off, but your decisions now impact that. Like your decisions now can rob from your future. For, for some of you, it actually comes down to this. Uh, and I'll speak to ladies. Um, ladies, some of you are exactly like my wife. My wife from... 15 years old, 11 years old, from as early as she can remember, said, my dream job is this. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to do that. And listen, I don't think that's all of you. Some ladies want to work and they don't want to be a stay-at-home mom. Praise God for that. Go work. Be awesome. But some of you, and maybe more of you than you'd like to admit, because it's kind of looked down upon in our culture, but maybe more of than you would even admit would say, I want that for my life. And here's the deal. Us being able to have my wife stay home came from a series of decisions of how we were going to deal with debt, how we were going to deal with contentment versus consumption, how we were going to save money and put it away before our first kid came three years ago. Like these decisions we made in our early 20s playing out now in our 30s because contentment and consumption are just going to constantly be fighting in your life. And what you do with that fight right now will impact your future. It goes on this way to tell us in verse seven. It says that for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Which is like this great reminder that some of you just need to like tattoo on your arm right up somewhere. Like I didn't bring anything in. I'm not gonna bring anything out. My life is a mist. I'm here for just a little bit of time and whatever I own, someone else is gonna own someday or it's gonna be in a dump. Like that's the only options. I'm either going to give it away to my kids, someone else is gonna own it, or it's gonna be in a trash heap somewhere. We brought nothing in, we take nothing out. And it says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Food, and clothing. Listen, I want to be clear. The Bible is not this sort of like, you should not want anything. You should just like starve and be naked. Like that's not the Bible. The, the Bible isn't this kind of like unrealistic thing, but here's what the Bible is saying. Like there are certain things that we need to survive, like clothing, food, probably like a house to live in. And I don't mean like a nice house. Like it has a pool. It's lovely. No, like a house, like some basic dwelling for you to be in. It's about survival. But here's the observation I want to make tonight. And I think this is an important part as you wrestle with debt. Debt is almost never about survival. Now, I want to give you the asterisk here. Sometimes when preachers or professors or public speakers say things, we put in what I call the weasel word, right? I don't say debt is not about survival. I say it's almost never. And that's a really dangerous thing to put in there. But it's true. 
Sometimes debt is about survival. There are some people who have medical debt because they literally wouldn't have survived without this surgery, but the surgery ended up saddling them with tens of thousands of dollars of debt that they're dealing with for the rest of their life. That's about survival. I've been in places in this world where people are in debt just to feed their children, and it's the sixth cycle of poverty and debt, and it becomes a kind of slavery. So, so listen, that can be true in other countries. It can be true here. There are some people for whom debt is literally the mechanism of their survival. But can I challenge you tonight? I think for the overwhelming majority of people here, the debt you have in your life is not about survival. Like you could have survived without college. <laughs> in fact, you may have survived more without college, right? <laughs> like, like, like it wasn't like, oh, I went $100,000 into debt to get my undergraduate degree because if I didn't get a degree in English, I would have died, right? That wasn't the case. That, that your debt wasn't about survival. Like, honestly, for the most part, like car debt is not about survival. I can imagine a situation where you're just like needing to get somewhere. And so you have this little loan so you can get a car. But when like, when you have like $50,000, $40,000, $25,000 in car debt, so you could have a nice car with leather interior and a nice little sound system, that is not about survival, right? It's not. Mortgages aren't about survival. But like so much of debt is not about survival. And this isn't just like a nice little observation that I'm putting out there. It should actually be something you remind yourself every time you go to sign for debt in your life. You need to look yourself in the mirror and remind yourself this is not about survival. And here's why I say this. Because I think we are really good at convincing ourselves that the decision we make to go into debt is about survival. Some of us are really good at convincing ourselves that we went into debt and we had to. And again, if you have some extreme convert, like, situation and you find me after the service, you go, I would have died without this debt and you really mean it. I I'm not going to disagree with you, okay? But I'm just here to say for the most part, we spend money on stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like and we call it survival. That's what we do. And here's why we do it. It's kind of like, uh, remember in Taken, uh, uh, he, he talks about like I have this particular set of skills that I've developed over a long career. I've said this before, but you have a particular set of skills that you have developed over a not very long life. And here's the set of skills you have, that you are an expert in justifying every decision you make. You are so good at it. You are so good at justifying your decisions, especially when it comes to money. And the reason I know you're so good at justifying that is because I am a pro at this. Let me tell you, just yesterday, I had already written this sermon and written this sentence down on paper. And then I did this little number. Let me tell you the story. So yesterday I had lunch with a guy I haven't talked to in a while. And we were over here at Sushi Eye over here in Westlake Village. Lovely place. They're not paying me to say this. Just want you to know. Lovely little sushi place. <laughs> Go to Sushi Eye. We have a wonderful lunch. After lunch, I think to myself, oh, I need to stop by Bank of America. And so there's one just across the street there, kind of near Panera. Right across the street there. Go over to Bank of America. Because my wife and I, tomorrow, we're getting on a plane. We're going on a little trip. And so I thought to myself, and I talked to my wife. Um, we need some cash for this trip. You know, you're giving tips or you're in a car, or you're in a taxi, wherever we're going. We just need some cash. It's nice to have some cash where you're traveling. So I come up to the bank, get into the bank, get cash out. But then if you know the geography of Westlake Village, and not all of you do, but if you know the geography of Westlake Village, there's a Bank of America right there, right on the corner. What is right next to Bank of America? Does anyone know? Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and so I'm standing there and I'm looking at Dunkin' Donuts. And mind you, I began the story by saying I had just eaten lunch. Just ate. I did not need a donut. I did not need a donut for anything. But here's what I said to myself. I'm sitting there holding some of the money I got. And here's what I said to myself. I just got money out for this trip so that I would have cash just as we're going around. It's always good to have cash on a trip. But 
when the bank dispenses it out of the ATM, it's all 20s. And you don't want to just have 20s. <laughs> you got to have ones, fives, tens. So I'm going to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get myself a, one donut, one donut, not because I want a donut, <laughs> but because I needed change for my 20. <laughs> Do you see how we're experts at this? Like I'm here in Dunkin' Donuts eating a maple bar and I'm like, oh, that was a wise financial decision. We do this all of the time. We go into things and we think, oh, this is the wise thing to do. And then we get like some person in our corner who goes, that's smart right there. That's sophisticated right there. That's real. That's real. Yeah, you're a thinker there. And so it's like, you can't afford a house at all, but you're like, interest rates are at record lows. So, I mean, this is just like the right thing to do right now. Don't you agree? It's like, it's the right thing to do. And then you're like, I'm going to go in. I'm going to go to school. I can't afford school, but I'll take out money because you know what? Like everything will work out. No one ever suffers under student debt and no one's smart enough to be like, no, it's crushing a generation of people, right? But we justify our decisions. I, I said this two weeks ago, like some of you, when you're buying a car, you're constantly using this word reliable. Like you're like, it's, it's not reliable. I, I can't do a used car. So I got to get a new car because used cars aren't reliable and new cars are. Do you know what? Every single one of you drove to church tonight, a used car. It's used the minute you drive it off the lot. It's a used car. And yet some of you are like, I gotta get a new car. And so you're spending way more money than you need signing on the line. You're like, I can afford the payments. You don't even know how much the total amount is. You're just like, I think I could swing that every month if nothing ever goes wrong in my life, which nothing in 2020 ever has, right? Like that's what you think. You are so good at justifying your decisions. And here's what I want for all of you. Like, again, I'm, I'm not saying that debt is sin. I'm not even saying every time you sign on a dotted line for debt or a car or a house or a loan, student loans, anything, that it's bad. I just, I would love for someone the next time you approach debt, think about debt, to like look yourself in the mirror and say this sentence. I am a world-class expert in justifying my behavior. Like to look at yourself and recognize that you are about to justify everything you already want to do. And that you need to get the type of people in your life who are willing to look you in the face and be like, hey, listen, I need you to be real clear here. This degree is not going to pay off those loans. This car is really, really nice. And when you have money, you should buy it, right? Like you need someone in your life who's able to look you in the face and tell you what you are doing is foolish because you are so good at justifying your behavior. And here's what the scriptures are saying. If you have enough to survive, you're fine. You don't need to go into debt. Again, if at some point you find yourself in a place in life where you or your family will literally die if you don't go into debt, knock yourself out. But every time it's not that, you should be super skeptical and super careful about going into debt. It goes on this way in verse nine. It says, those who wanna get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We just read that again. This is like the best thing ever. Someone needs to hear the number of ands that are in this statement. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and not just temptation, a trap. And in case that wasn't enough, into many foolish, not just foolish, but and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So not just ruin, but ruin and destruction. Like this is the deep concern, the profound concern of the person who's writing this is Paul's writing to Timothy. He's going, listen, money is this thing that can destroy you. Ruin and destruction. 
And, and, and hear me, one of the quickest ways for you to destroy yourself with money is to get in over your head in debt that you will never be able to repay. It's to get into a student loan situation because you think if I don't go to college, my whole life will fall apart and no one's ever made it in college and there are no examples of anyone in the world who's ever been successful without college, so I gotta do that. And you step in and you take out too much debt and it destroys you. It's the person who says, I wanna start a business and in every business you've ever started ever, you gotta take out a big loan because it takes money to make money and then you take out all this money and then you are saddled with debt for the rest of your life. You take out a mortgage you can never afford and you're just scraping by with minimal mortgages or minimal margin in your life. You get into a situation where you're renting a place and everyone's stoked on the place because it's like the greatest place ever, but you have no money in your life to give or to save or to invest and your life is getting destroyed. Like I just want to say this so bluntly tonight, debt can rob from your future. Debt robs your future. And I just want you to be aware of that. I want you to be aware that the decisions you make as a young man or woman can rob you from your 40s and your 50s and what you're doing. And listen, I'm not saying if you're in debt or in a lot of debt right now, there's no hope for your future. I'm gonna get to what I think the hope for your future is. But I want someone to hear me tonight when I say that debt should scare you a little bit. Like if debt doesn't scare you at all, if you're like, whatever, debt's fine, you take it out, you if you just have this kind of casual attitude toward debt, it's going to come back to bite you. Like you can handle snakes, but at some point they bite. You, you can be the person who like reaches into the oven to flip something over on a pan. And you're like, I'm going to do this like laser thing where you're like getting in there to do it. But at some point you're going to burn your hand on the oven, right? Like at some point when you play with fire, you're going to get burned. And if you have debt, like I have debt on my home, you need to be a little bit scared about it. Not panicked, not overwhelmed, but you need to say debt is not my friend. Debt is not something that I'm just going to use as a tool throughout my whole life every time I have that impulse because it's going to rob from my future. Verse 10, it ends here. It says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I said this two weeks ago. I'll say it again. The Bible never says that money is the root of all evil. It's your love for it. That's a problem. The love of money is the root of all evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Did you see that? Like money's going to drive you away from God money. We always think it's sin, wickedness, evil, joining some kind of cult. That's going to draw us from God. Maybe that's true. But money is the main competitor to your heart. Money is the thing that is after you. Jesus says it so clearly. He says, you can't serve both God and money. You got to pick one. And here's what he knows. And here's what you need to know tonight. That this desire for money can wreck your faith. Debt can wreck your faith. Now, I said at the very beginning, this is not a financial seminar. This is my opinion on debt. This is us talking about what the Bible has to say. I say debt can wreck your faith. Your student loan, your mortgage, your car payment, your debt that you took out for whatever reason. It, it can be debt on silly things. You can have a sea dew or a boat. There's debt people have on lawnmowers. You're like, what? Like, this is what we do. We have debt on everything, because why not? Debt on your iPhone, debt on everything. It can wreck your faith. Now, here's why I make a bold claim like this. I've said since the beginning of this series that the two combatants for your heart, the two things tugging on your heart are money and possessions on one side and God on the other side. And again, the assumption that I've made and that I've been talking about tonight is this, um, that the people I'm talking to in this crowd, maybe some of you listening on live stream aren't this, but live with us here. Um, those of you who I'm speaking to do not have a ton of money and possessions. So when I say it's money and possessions versus God, a lot of you go, I'm in the clear. I got nothing to compete. God's good. He's got nothing to compete with, right? Because my bank account doesn't have a comma in it, right? Like, I'm good. I'm good. 
Like, like you think of it that way. And that might be true. Except you can very easily tilt the scales toward money and possessions with debt, right? Like any one of you could go out tomorrow and get tens of thousands of dollars in debt, money and possessions and tilt the scales immediately. But like debt can put you in this place where suddenly money takes a role that it should have never taken in your life. The person who is drowning in debt is not constantly thinking about their hunger for God. They're constantly thinking about how they're gonna stay above water and make all of their payments. It is a competition for your heart with God. But listen, my desire isn't that you would be rich in this world. My desire isn't that you would somehow have no debt and like that's some principled thing that like you should never have debt. My desire is that you would love God more than anything that is in this world, that you would be more satisfied with Jesus Christ and his love for you than any gift he could possibly give in you, including money and possessions. So it's not the invitation for you is to deal with your debt, to slay it, to, to be the type of person who says no more, to be a little bit afraid of debt, to have a plan for your debt, to think about your debt, to consider your debt. And here's how I want to do this. I want to answer the question, what now? I realize I'm talking to some of you, you have no debt. You have no student loans, you have no mortgage, you have no car payment, you have no debt, that's wonderful. But let me speak to you who do have debt or someone you know is drowning in debt right now. Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to calculate exactly how much debt you have. This is really practical, but it's really true. Jesus says no one builds a tower without first considering the cost, right? You need to know exactly how much debt you have. And I don't mean like, I think it's sort of maybe like 20 or 70,000, like, like that doesn't work. You need to know. I don't mean down to the penny. I just mean like, okay, this is how much debt and not how much you're paying a month. Like what is the total sum of your debt? What is the mountain that is sitting upon you that you need to climb to identify exactly how much debt you have? And here's number two, acknowledge that if you have debt, you're in danger. And I think that's the hill some of you will not cross tonight. I think some of you will leave and because debt is so normal in this culture, because your parents have debt, because your friends have debt, your professors had debt, everyone's got debt. You just go, it's normal. And here's the thing. Normal can be really scary. I've told you I have a mortgage. I should be scared of that mortgage. Not frightened, not overwhelmed, not terrified, but I should be aware that that mortgage is risk in my life. And that if somehow I get to the point where I cannot pay that mortgage, it is going to dramatically change the life, not just for me, but the life of my family. Like we should have a little bit of awareness of the danger that debt poses to our life. Like if I could have no mortgage, if I could pay that off, my life would be so much more free from the shackles of debt. We need to acknowledge the danger. Uh, number three, this is real simple. You need to start acting your wage, right? And saying no, <laughs> right? You act your wage. If you make 50, don't spend 60. This is like the most basic thing ever, right? And yet we don't do this. We're like, I make 50, but what I'll do is I'll spread the payments out over a bazillion years and I'll always be in debt. And we just kind of like finagle some way of sounding sophisticated. You act your wage. Do you know what you need to do when you act your wage and you're a young adult? It means that sometimes people go out to dinner and they're like, I'll have a steak and I'll have this and I'll have all that. You're like, I'll have a bottle of wine and a salad, right? That might be acting your wage. That might be humiliating for you. But I'm going to tell you, you will never get out of debt if you're always trying to keep up with everyone else and what they're doing. You need to practice saying no. No is the most satisfying thing you can possibly say. It is a complete sentence. You want to go out to dinner? No. You don't even have to justify why. Do, do, do you want to go do this? No. Well, we're going to go shopping today. <laughs> no. Because I know if I go shopping, I'll buy things and I don't need things. But I know if I see a sale, I'll buy it because I'll think it's a savings and it's not a savings because I'm spending money. But no. <laughs> Do you want to go to my destination wedding in Hawaii? Sounds great. No, right? No. You learn to say no now so that you can say yes later. You start acting your wage. You learn to say no. 
And here's what I want every single one of you to do. This is whether you're in debt or not. I, I want you to learn from someone who has what you want. This is called wisdom. Wisdom is looking at someone going like, I see your life. I want what you have. You seem to have your financial act together. You seem to have some wisdom. You seem to be making it in this area. And listen, that doesn't mean like go find Scrooge McDuck, okay? It's not like go find the wealthiest person possible. It's like, just go find someone. Find a school teacher who lives in this area. And it's not like rich, not independently wealthy, but is managing their money and their debt in their life in such a way that's allowing them to raise a family and give generously and love this community. Find someone who has what you want and go learn from them. Go ask questions. Be willing to actually open up your finances and say, I'm a mess, help me. You know, be willing to have them speak into your life. And then here's the final practical next step I wanna to give to someone tonight. I want you to make a plan to be debt-free two years from today. Two years. Now, for some of you, you have no debt and you're like, I'm winning, right? <laughs> not, so, not so fast. If you have no debt, you know what it would be an amazing win? If two years from today, you still had no debt. It is so easy for debt to sneak in and be like, that's not debt, that's just a mortgage. No, it's debt, right? That's not debt, it's just a student loan. No, it's debt. No debt. Imagine if in November of 2022, you were heading into Thanksgiving and Christmas and you had no payments of any kind whatsoever. How amazing would that be? So some of you, you have no debt. Some of you are like, that's pretty easy. I bet you I can knock it out in a year. Great. Knock it out in a year. Knock it out in six months. But then two years from now, have no debt. And then to the person who goes, listen, you don't understand my situation. I took out so much loans to go to school, medical, all this kind of stuff that was out of your control. Okay. Not two years. Three? Five? Doesn't have to be 10. Doesn't have to be 20. Like, I think for some of us, we're just kind of like, I'll always be in debt, so I won't even deal with it, not even worry about it. You lay out a plan. You attack it with a vengeance. You become the type of person who says, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm not going to allow this to own me anymore. I'm not going to allow this to crush me anymore. And I don't have a specific thing. Again, I've mentioned Dave Ramsey before. Go on his website, look at his stuff, learn from him, figure out how to make a plan for yourself to get out of debt. And for some of you, maybe getting out of debt doesn't mean you're going to pay anything off. It just means you're going to finish school without accruing any more. You're going to work an extra job. You're going to peel back on school. You're actually going to slow it down. You're going to go a different path so you don't just keep stacking up debt. So I'm not going to give you a plan tonight. I'm not going to give you, here are the six things you need to do now on how to get out of debt. I want to give you a picture instead. And the picture doesn't come from me. The picture comes from the Bible. The Bible in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 5 says, Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter like a bird from the snare of the flower. Flower? Fowler. Wow. Whew. Yeah, flower is very dangerous. It's a rough world out there. So it says, free yourself. And then it says, it says you're going to free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Um, if you don't know what a gazelle is, I'll show you this picture here. Um, a gazelle is a kind of antelope. Um, and it's this little beast that's running here from the hunter, from the, the guy that's about to eat him. Um, and, and this doesn't come from me. This is popular in the Christian world, but this is the idea. If you want to get free from debt, you got to be like this little guy. You got to go like debt is this lion that is chasing me down. It is going to devour me. It's going to rob from my future. It's going to rob from my family. It's going to rob from job opportunities. For some of you, listen, debt is going to rob from you your opportunity to go into ministry. I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to want to go into ministry, but they're just drowning in some financial situation they can't get out of. There's people who want to be overseas missionaries and there's actually mission agencies that will turn people down because their debt is so high and they go, you can never pay this off on a missionary salary. 
You just decide, I'm going to get out of this. I'm going to release myself from this debt. And again, I don't have an action item step for you. I just want to say you become the type of person who says, I'm going to escape from this. You, you become intense. You become focused on this thing and this thing only. You become the type of person who says no to anything that gets you in the way, gets in the way of your plan to get out of debt. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier that, that when I was 22 years old, I came on staff at this church and I began seminary. And I began seminary and I did what a lot of you maybe even did for undergrad and I took out loans. I didn't know anything. I just thought I kind of want to do seminary and so I'm going to take out loans. And looking back now, 10 years later, um, that was riskier than I understood it to be. And, and there were some wise people speaking into me even at the time. And yet I was just like, I'm going to do this. So I take out all of these loans and it starts accruing and it starts accumulating. And I start having all of this debt. And, and then right in the midst of this, I actually get hired for like my first like real human being job, right? Adult job. You know what I mean by that? Like you're not, you're like, it's your, you're like, oh, it's a job, right? So I get this job and I had this decision. Like I could just kind of start living like everyone else who has like a normal salary job in this area, or I could decide that I'm going to get out of debt. And so I made a mission. It was 2012, and I made this decision. I am going to get out of debt before I graduate seminary. <clears throat> now, fortunately, my seminary program was a three-year program that I stretched into five, okay? And so my goal was in the next three years, four years, I'm going to get out of debt. Like, I'm going to eliminate all of this debt, and I'm going to pay for the rest of seminary. Now, if you think somehow, um, it, just as a reminder, I work here at this church, okay? If you think it's like the lucrative salary of a church that allowed me to do this, you've never met anyone who's worked at a church, okay? Like, like, like it wasn't like I was making a bazillion dollars and could pay everything off. It's that I made a decision that I need a place to live. I probably don't need new clothes. I probably did need new clothes. Like people were like, you're not very cool. But I didn't think I needed new clothes. I had a car and I had gas in it. And I would find the cheapest places for gas because my only mission was get out of debt. I didn't go on trips that other people were going on. I didn't go to weddings that people were going to. I missed weddings of friends. I missed opportunities. People were going out to eat, and I either didn't go out to eat or I went and I got a water. The, the part I'll never forget from that season of life what, what was that I just had this decision, like I'm going to go into work each day, and I'm not going to go out. Because every single day at work, there's someone here at the church who's like, I'm going out to lunch. And sometimes it's a nice lunch. Sometimes um, one of my bosses back in the day would always be like, I'm going to Costco for lunch. That was affordable, okay? That, that, the food court was affordable. But, but here's the decision. Like, I'm not even going to spend money on that. So I'll just, this is a part of my life I'll never forget for whatever reason. I just remember every Sunday night making bean burritos. I'd make like 20 of them. And then I'd put them in the freezer on like wax paper. And then they'd just sit there in the freezer. And every morning I'd go in and just grab a few bean burritos and throw it in a pack and go into lunch. And then people would be like, we're going out to lunch. I was like, no, I'm going to have my sad burrito. And like, that's what I do. But here's what happened. I get married in 2013. I paid off my student loans by the time I graduated seminary. Why? Not because I had some great strategy, not because I was sophisticated financially, not because I made so much money, but because I was intense like a gazelle who said, this thing will destroy me if I'm not careful with this. This thing will limit my opportunities. It'll limit my wife's ability to stay home with our kids someday. It'll limit my future. It's going to rob from me. And I don't want that to be the case. And tonight I want to invite someone to be just like this gazelle to say, I have been playing footsie with debt for too long and it's time to get this away. I'm no longer going to be the type of person who just kind of flirts with it. I'm going to be the type of person who gets out of it. And again, that might be two years. It might be five years, but don't make it 20. Don't make it 30. Be the person who decides I'm getting out of this. Here's why. Last scripture we'll show tonight. Proverbs 20, 22, 7 probably says the most intense thing the Bible has to say about debt. It says the rich rules over the poor, which is kind of like a universal thing. 
if you think it's like just in America, there's income inequality and some people have more power and influence than others, you've never ever read history ever, okay? This is like all of human history. Rich people rule over poor people. This is not an American thing. It's not a Western thing. It's a all of human history, everything. But then it says something profound. It says, and the borrower's slave to the lender. And honestly, when I read that at first, I struggle with it. I'm like, borrower's slave to the, like debt is slavery? Some of you are like, are you saying debt is slavery? I want to be really clear. I'm not saying debt's slavery. God is saying debt is slavery. And to follow after Jesus, to become more like Christ, to be a Christian who is walking in the fullness of what God has for your life is to decide I'm no longer going to live enslaved to debt anymore. That I'm going to fight through, that I'm going to walk out of that. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be the type of individual who says I'm not going to be in debt anymore. Because hear me, if you hear nothing else tonight, I need you to hear it when it comes to debt. I need you to know this. That until you decide I am getting out of debt, I'm going to be gazelle intense. I am getting out of debt. It is not going to own me anymore. I'm not going to be a slave to it anymore. Until you decide that, it'll never work out. Because here's what you need to know. You can wander into debt, but you cannot wander out of it. You can wander into debt, but you will never wander out of it. You'll never just wake up one day and be like, I'm debt free. Like that doesn't happen. It only happens when you decide for it to happen. When you decide that you're sick of the slavery of debt. Debt is a kind of slavery that will own you for your entire life if you're not careful. And you need to be the type of person who recognizes the danger in debt, not just for your finances, not just for your future, not just for your family, but for your faith. Because the number one competitor to your heart when it comes for your love for God isn't sex, it's not alcohol, it's not foul language, it's not movies, it's not media, it's not our culture. It's money. And money will always become a bigger deal in your life when you're saddled with debt. I have no idea how all of you are receiving this message. <laughs> I get that I'm up here preaching a message that sounds like I am from Mars, okay? I know this sounds strange. I've even confessed to you that in my own life, this is present and I have to wrestle through kind of how do I deal with what the Bible says and where I'm at and what our culture says. But this is the place where I want you to wrestle before God. You don't owe me an answer on anything. The person to your left, the person to your right, you don't owe them an answer on anything. But you owe yourself an answer. And more importantly, you owe your God an answer. That if you want to be fully faithful to him, sold out for what he has for you in this world, for whatever future he has for you, you're going to have to deal with debt in your life. And you're going to have to make a decision that contentment is going to rule over consumption. Our band's going to come up right now and we're going to sing um, and we're going to come before the Lord, our God, and we're going to give in our affection and our attention. Uh, I really believe with all my heart um, that your worship, like your capacity to enjoy God will ultimately be the thing that leads to contentment. Because when you start to enjoy God more than anything else in this world, like shoes and cars and trips and luxury things just seem so much less and God seems so much more. And so that's the invitation for us tonight to come before God with what we have, um, to wrestle through hard things in the Bible and to be skeptical, deeply skeptical of anything that our culture says is normal, even when, the, even when it seems so utterly bizarre. So let's pray, and we're going to worship. Thank, thank you, God, for tonight. Uh, thanks for your word. Father, I pray for the person right now who just feels guilty because of their debt. I pray that their guilt would be washed away by the truth of Jesus' blood, that they are fully forgiven, fully loved by their Father in heaven, and you're going to take care of every one of their needs. Pray for the person who's skeptical of this whole message and thinks debt is fine and it's no big deal. God, I just actually pray you would just blast their hearts and convict them tonight. Pray no one walks out of this place not hearing a word from your spirit. God, would you meet us here? Would you meet us in our finances? God, may it never be said of anyone in this courtyard tonight, anyone listening online, that money had our hearts over your 
son, Jesus, and the inheritance and the treasure of his grace and his love that he offers us. God, as we worship right now, help us become the type of people who are so content with you that everything else in this world seems small. God, in the words of the old hymn, may you turn our eyes upon Jesus. May we look full in his wonderful face. May the things of earth, the stuff of this world, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said real loud. Amen. Amen.